This is Jim Scott Oreck, and you are listening to Reclamation Worship. I'm Jason Allen, host of Reclamation Worship, the podcast devoted to reclaiming a biblical view of worship for the church. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Reclamation Worship. I'm really excited about today's guest. You're going to be hearing from Dr. Jim Oreck, professor of literature at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky, which happens to be where my oldest child, our daughter, has recently begun her studies. And so I'm so excited that she has the opportunity to hear from professors such as Dr. Oreck. And uh, I know that you will be encouraged here today in hearing this conversation. So I really want to encourage you to um, check out the resources that will be mentioned in this episode. I will link to them in the show notes. And also, this is going to be kicking off uh, the series that I mentioned uh, previously with my children. We are going to be talking about the Pilgrim's Progress, and I'm going to be interviewing them in episodes to come, but I, I wanted to set the stage with this episode, hearing from Dr. Oreck, a professor, uh, a scholar, an expert on this book, on the Pilgrim's Progress. So uh, we not only talk about the Pilgrim's Progress, we talk about um, his preaching and scripture memorization and uh, just a, a really great episode in thinking about the Lord, thinking about the Lord's Word, and thinking about his workers, his workers such as John Bunyan, who wrote this uh, epic tale of uh, the Christian life. And so I think you're going to be encouraged. I want to challenge you uh, to take up this book and read it and uh, discuss it with your children. Talk about it with them. You'll hear uh, my fumbling through the, the discussions with my children in upcoming episodes, so uh, be looking out for that. All right, well, let's head on over to the interview. Dr. Jim Oreck, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Reclamation Worship. It is a, a privilege to to have you on here. So you are a professor at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky? That's right. Yeah, that's that's been my main occupation since 2002, although I really always have considered myself for the last 40 years and more to be first and foremost a preacher of God's Word. Mm. But uh, worked out that I was able to teach at Boyce and also continue my preaching ministry, and so that's what I've been doing for the last uh, seven. Just finished my seventeenth year at Boyce. Good deal. And so you do also pastor a local church. Tell us about that. Well, uh, I just recently was called to be the the permanent part time pastor at the Bullet Lick Baptist Church. Uh. It seems like an odd name to people who are not from around here, but uh, <laughs> it's just a word of explanation. Bullet was a man's name, okay. and as far as being called Bullet Lick, salt production was a big, uh, a big industry in Kentucky during the pioneer days, and there was a large outcropping of salt uh, that was developed, I think, by Mister Bullet. But anyway, it was is right by where our church is, and so that's why that area is called Bullet's Lick, 
but our church is just called Bullet Lick. Uh, prior to my being called, I've been at Bullet Lick since September. Okay. And I think Bullet Lick was my 12th interim pastorate in the 17 years that I've been. So most of the time that I've been at Boyce, I have been interim pastor somewhere. But when Bullet Lick contacted me, they uh, they mentioned that they wanted uh, someone who was going to preach expository messages and mm. someone who was reformed in his theological perspective. And uh, so I told them from the outset that I was interested in exploring the possibility of a permanent settlement among them. Mm. And so after after about six months, I, I don't think they even talked to anybody else about the possibility of serving as their preaching pastor. Uh, so that's that's what I've been. They called me in early in March and just a delightful group of people, and I'm so thrilled to be with them. Wow. Well, I'm sure they are blessed by you and your ministry. And so uh, pastors of local churches are near and dear to my heart. So uh, thank you so much for how you're serving the Lord in that in that way. Um, w- would you mind, I, I want to talk about um, specifically what you do at Voice and and uh, the way that I found out about you. Uh, is is tied to that, but would you mind maybe before we get into all of that, uh, sharing with us uh, how the Lord saved you, what that looked like, and uh, what your early years um, consisted of? My dad was a faithful preacher of God's Word, and he uh, pastored for uh, over sixty years. He, well, that's not exactly true. It was he pastored the same church as the preaching pastor for forty-one years. Mm. He was pastor of another church for seven years, so just preaching pastor about 48 years. And then after he retired at age 70, he stayed on at the church where he had been for more than 41 years as a pastor of visitation. So altogether, his his pastoral ministry uh, was approaching 60 years. But he was a faithful preacher of God's Word. I grew up hearing hearing good good messages and... uh, uh, my mom was a, a devout Christian. They're both with the Lord now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at about age 14, the Lord saved me. And uh, people thought I had been a Christian before that. I thought I'd been a Christian before that. But as I reflected upon it uh, in the years that followed, I came to understand that I had not been converted, never received Jesus as my Lord until I was 14. Mm-hmm. But anyway, because people thought I'd been a Christian for a while, I immediately was afforded opportunities for, for teaching. So at, at youth gatherings and at camps and so on, I'd always uh, been uh, fairly skilled at public speaking. And uh, so immediately at age 14, I began teaching quite a bit. And then at age 17, I felt strongly that the Lord was calling me into the preaching ministry. And so... I began preaching at age 17. I'm 58 now, so it'll soon be 41 years that I've been preaching. Wow. Wow. What uh, what book, I know we didn't plan to talk about this, but what book of uh, Scripture has meant the most to you? Do you have a favorite? Well, no, I, I don't really. Um, but uh, I have benefited so much from uh, c- uh, committing books of the Bible to memory hmm. and... Um, Years and years ago, I uh, committed the Gospel of John to memory, and that was so beneficial. And the Book of Romans, the Book of Hebrews, wow. uh, has been so enriching to the way that I think. I 
I'm a, <clears throat> a strong proponent of memorizing Scripture, and I know from experience that when you memorize Scripture, or just when you study the Scripture deeply and sincerely, the Bible not only teaches you what to think, it teaches you how to think. Mm. Mm. And uh, I think that's the way that it should work, and uh, I, I think that's the way that it's happened happened in my own life. Has there been a method that's uh, proved helpful to you in, in Scripture memory? You know, I get asked that question quite a bit, and uh, I, I I think that everyone is hoping that there's some kind of magic formula that I have, that right. this is the way that you do it. Uh, I, I'm going to say there is no magic formula. Mm. So uh, it's easiest to memorize Scripture when it's set to music. Mm-hmm. And so I've done a lot of Scripture memory that way. Uh, However, it's so easy that I don't think that I get the benefit out of memorizing Scriptures that I have set to music that I do when I memorize Scripture just in the the set your teeth and devote the time to doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, uh, you know, I'll go through periods in my life when I spend... uh, more time than others at memorizing. There, there are plenty of days when I don't spend any time memorizing anything at all. Mm-hmm. But if I were to, if you just forced me to say, I'd say I probably spend about, 10, on average, 10 or 15 minutes a day memorizing things, not just scripture, but poetry. And, and it just takes work. You yeah. just go over it, and you go over it, and uh, you close the text, and you see if you can say it, and... Uh, when I was memorizing a lot of scripture, I'd probably spend thirty to forty minutes a day mm. memorizing scripture. Gotcha. It just worked. Just I don't think there's any secret formula, but I do think that anybody who is really determined to do it has the capacity to do it. Mm. And some people say, "Oh, I just can't do it." And I say, "Well, how about if I told you that you could not put a bite of food in your mouth until you had memorized these ten verses?" Mm. Well, they'd buckle down and. And in a day or two, they'd have those ten verses memorized. Right. It's just the motivation has got to be strong enough. That's right. Yeah, I've read Andy Davis talk about this issue as well. And uh, like you, he, he says there's no magic pill. It just takes good old-fashioned hard work and uh, dedication and, and devotion to it. So um, certainly that's been my experience too, though. Um, like you said, uh, it, there's so many benefits to it, but um, the renewing of our minds, certainly, um, in all aspects, uh, what to think, how to think, yeah, it, it is so yeah. beneficial. So, yeah. very Jason, good. I, one, one more thing about that. I, I do so much of my sermon preparation when I don't have a Bible or a book in my hand. Mm-hmm. So... Sometimes while traveling, uh, sometimes while just sitting in a tree stand hunting or mm-hmm. taking walks. I take a, a walk virtually every day, and I do so much of my preparation for preaching uh, just by thinking through the texts that I have committed to memory. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you know, in the process of memorizing how the text is laid out, see what the natural divisions are. And so that is so much sermon preparation is just saying, how has the Holy Spirit explained this idea? Mm-hmm. Well, let that be the way I explain it, too. Mm-hmm. Let, let his main points be my main points 
and but uh, the, in committing large passages of scripture to memory, that is able. Uh, I'm able to do that when I don't have a, even a Bible in my hand. I'm driving or doing something that requires uh, that I keep my eyes on the road or on my eyes somewhere else. Do you have a particular translation that uh, that you use most often? Well, I I started off years ago memorizing the New International Version. I rarely preach from the New International Version anymore, and I haven't I have not read it for several years, except for the purpose of reviewing what I've memorized. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it was very it was very good as I uh, as I learned to read uh, Greek a little better. I came to be dissatisfied with some of the liberties that the NIV translators took with some of the texts, mm-hmm. but I'm not highly critical of it. I, I think that uh, there are more literal translations that I now prefer, and now I, I, well, right now I'm reading through the King James Version of the Bible, and so there are several uh, passages that I have uh, committed a memory recently from the King James Version, but for the most part I read from and preach the English Standard Version. You uh, recently released a book, Mere Calvinism. Could you give us a uh, a short um, plug for that? And I will link to that in the show notes uh, so that folks who would like to look at it uh, further can can check it out. But would you just share with us uh, how that came about and, and what that's about? Well, I, I told you already that I, I grew up hearing good preaching. My dad was reformed in his theological perspective, although he would never have used that word. Mm. And I remember when I was adult, he asked me, what does reformed mean? Mm. Uh, so, but he was, he was a five-point Calvinist in his soteriology. So I, I grew up uh, hearing the doctrines of grace and believing the doctrines of grace. Um, but uh, Calvinists, five-point Calvinists were extraordinarily rare in the late 70s and early 80s when I began my ministry. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, in, the, in the 1990s, uh, something happened that I could not have predicted, would not have anticipated, and that is that it suddenly started to become cool to be a Calvinist. <laughs> and so all of these young people were declaring themselves to be Calvinists, and uh, when I when I came to Boyce College in 2002, it, uh, there were a lot of the young people who were calling themselves Calvinists. But uh, in short, I found that a lot of these people calling themselves Calvinists really did not know what it was. Mm. Uh, I, I started the very first year I was at Boyce, taking a week to explain the five points of Calvinism in my classes, and through the years. Students were so encouraging in their expressions of appreciation for that explanation. And uh, there are many five-point Calvinists that teach at Southern Seminary and at Boyce College, but uh, many of the students would tell me that in, in their years at Boyce College, they had never heard a systematic explanation of the five points. Mm. And I understand that, uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I had I had the opportunity to do it in my class, and so I did, and um, developed uh, a number of illustrations that students said were helpful. And so several years ago, I pitched the idea to a representative from the publisher of TNR, who was at seminary, talking 
talking to professors about our academic proposals. And uh, the representative from PNR said, well, there's so many books on the five points. Why, why do you think you need to write one? Hmm. And I said, because the books that are out there are hard to understand. Hmm. And uh, he must have agreed with me because they agreed to do the book. And uh, since the book came out in February, uh, there have been a number of uh, very encouraging comments made and reviews that have been posted about the book. And virtually all of them will express their appreciation for how simple the book is. Hmm. And so I think I, I think I was right that... Uh, there are a lot of people who really don't understand Calvinism, but who would like to understand it and uh, maybe don't have uh, the discipline or or maybe even the theological faculties to understand some of the books that have been published on the five points. So I deliberately wrote a book that was very easy to understand. I think that a motivated high school student uh, could understand it, have had uh, young people tell me that they understood it and appreciated it. And uh, so that's that's what led to the publication of the book, and it's been the, the reception has been very encouraging. Excellent. Well, I uh, like I said, I will link to that uh, so that others can benefit from that as well. So uh, thank you for writing that, and um, it uh, I've been encouraged by it, and uh, I know that others will as well. Uh, so, Doctor Ork, you are professor of literature at Boyce College, and that's. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you today, because I read an article, I, 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 uh, when I contacted you, I, I told you that um, my wife and I have started working through uh, Pilgrim's Progress with our children. I, I found an article online where you had written about it. I wanted to just ask you uh, to help us think about that uh, great book and uh Maybe why is that significant to you? When did you first read it? And why is it uh, so important that you would teach on it at Boyce College? Years ago, my, my wife asked me if I had been able to write any one book in the whole world, which book would I want to write? And my answer was The Pilgrim's Progress. Hmm. Uh, it's, it is my favorite book. Um, I... Um, my, I, and I do a fair amount of reading in, in theology and in literature. Mm -hmm. My Ph.D. from Ohio University is in English literature, and so I've been exposed to a, an above-average amount of literature, uh, especially for a Baptist preacher, I think. Mm -hmm. But the, Pilgrim, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress uh, is in first place of my favorite books. Uh, it uh, It has... It has a special quality about it that is beyond description. Uh, it, it has it affects me much the way that poetry affects me. Uh, that it uh, it it digs deep into my emotional core, and for me, it is not simply uh, a well written, cleverly phrased theological treatise. It it's almost a book length poem me. So I appreciate it from a literary perspective. Uh, I first read the book when I was about 18 years old, and uh, I probably uh, read it because I was a great admirer of C.H. Spurgeon and was reading Spurgeon so much, and he would often quote from The Pilgrim's Progress. 
Uh, Spurgeon said that he had read the Pilgrim's Progress more than 100 times in his life, and mm. considering that he died when he was uh, fairly young, 56, 58. Uh, he, uh, he read it about twice a year. Wow. And uh, so it, it, is, uh, it is a book that uh, I think rings true with everyone who has earnestly endeavored to live the Christian life. The, the characters that we encounter in the Pilgrim's Progress are, are characters that we encounter in our lives, uh, both people who are exterior to us and then characteristics that are interior to our own spiritual psyche. So uh, Bunyan introduces us to characters like talkative. Well, we probably know someone who is talkative, but I think one of the main uh, effects of reading Pilgrim's Progress is that we look into our own hearts and ask ourselves, am I talkative? Hmm. Is this this character actually a foible of mine? And uh, so it's uh, it's a wonderful work of Christian psychology. Hmm. Uh, The first part, that is, a pilgrim, uh, Christian, and he has two traveling companions, faithful at first and then hopeful after that. I I characterize Pilgrim's Progress Part the First as Christian psychology, and then Pilgrim's Progress Part the Second, which chronicles the journey of Christiana and her her family and companions to the Celestial City. I think that's not so much Christian psychology as it is Christian sociology. Mm. Uh, We get a glimpse of how Christians of various ages and in various responsibilities relate to one another on the Christian pilgrimage. Hmm. What do you hope your students will will take from their interaction with this book? Well, uh, before we read The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, I have them read Bunyan's spiritual autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Hmm. And in Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, Bunyan spends page after page exploring the struggles that he had before he finally came to be assured that he was indeed a child of God. It takes months and months and months. And there are a few students who will express their impatience with that long process mm-hmm. and uh, say, why, why can't he just trust in Jesus? But every year, I will have some students who will tell me, sometimes in in front of the class, but often in private, they will say to me, I never knew that anyone else had been through what I have been through Mm. until I read this book. Mm. And so uh, I'm hoping that in reading Bunyan, the students will have that kind of experience, that they... In, in their spiritual struggles, the challenges that they face, the victories that they encounter, are not alone. Hmm. There are other believers who are experiencing the same thing and have experienced the same thing, and uh, Bunyan is, is a wonderful person, both in his grace abounding and also in the Pilgrim's Progress. He is a wonderful author to communicate the common Christian experience that any earnest follower of Jesus Christ is going to have. Mm. 
Was was he an unlikely author? Uh, you mentioned to me in, in talking with him or talking about him that um, that he was a, a simple tradesman. Uh, so was was it unusual for a work like this to come from a man like that? It was just astounding. Um, he, uh, in in some ways, his biography reads almost like fiction. Uh, but he was he was a a soldier and. Uh, not when when he when he married. I think that his lack of education is sometimes exaggerated. That uh, he he could read, mm-hmm. uh, but by the time he married, he married fairly young. I can't remember the exact age, but eighteen or twenty years old, he was young, and uh, though very poor, they only had they only had two books. He and his wife, but one of them was a book that was influential on him. Uh, he. Was a very re- had a very religious bent to him by that time. He talks about that in The Grace Abounding of the Chief of Sinners. But, uh, yeah, a very unlikely candidate to write uh, two books which remain near the top of their genre in the English-speaking world. Mm. So Pilgrim's Progress is without rival the greatest uh, allegory in English, and... His grace abounding to the chief of sinners is one of the one of the top spiritual uh, autobiographies in the language. It, it's hard to think of uh, one that was written in English that's going to give it competition. I mean, there's virtually no spiritual autobiography from the 1600s that gets read the way Bill, uh, Bunyan's Grace Abounding does. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was by by uh, trade, he was a tinker. To tinker is someone who mends pots and pans, mm. and uh, so he was. I can just imagine him. It would be a very dirty job, you know. He's got some kind of a way of working with. Uh, got to heat the metal in order to make it malleable, and so on. And mm. I imagine that he was a, a sooty-looking man <laughs> and not very well educated, but uh, mm. greatly filled with the spirit of God and. Just, it is quite surprising that a man of his uh, limited education would be able to produce what he has produced. But you know, Jason, I think it's a, it's a great testimony to the education that the Word of God is mm. when someone really sets themselves to study the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think that that's what happened to Bunyan. He just studied the Word of God night and day, and and then with some of his natural gifts that the Lord had given him, he flowered into this great author and an extraordinarily popular preacher in England during his day. Was it Bunyan that Spurgeon said if you cut him, he would bleed bibline? That's right. I haven't been able to confirm if this is a true story, but it's it's, it's a wonderful story. The I hope it is true that some once someone was uh, speaking, perhaps critically, of John Bunyan to the great Puritan divine John Owen. Mm-hmm. And Owen is reported to have said, I would gladly trade all of my learning if I could preach like the tinker from Bedford. Wow. You mentioned to me that there's a line from Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners that is one of your favorite lines in all of literature. Do you mind uh, sharing that with us? I don't mind. It's uh, 
it actually is connected to a story which I think uh, describes when Bunyan was converted. And uh, he he has gone to um, Bedford to mend pots and pans. And um, I have it in I have it in front of me, and so I'll just read you three or four lines of it. Mm-hmm. But upon a day, the good providence of God did cast me to Bedford to work on my calling. And in one of the streets of that town, I came where there was three or four poor women sitting at a door in the sun and talking about the things of God. And then he goes on to describe how that he he positioned himself so that he could hear them talk. And he talks about what they were saying. And uh, he he admitted that even though he had been a religious man, he had no idea of the things that they were talking about. But uh, he listened to them, and I just love to think about that. I think about this this sunny day and these three or four poor women. Mm. They finished with their morning tasks, and they're just sitting there, and they're talking about the Lord and about the Bible because they just love to. They're mm. not trying to impress anybody. They just love to talk about it. And then I, I don't know if they were aware that Bunyan was close enough to eavesdrop, but... I just think about this this dirty man mm. tapping away on that top, that pot that he was working on, and how how these women had no idea mm. that this dirty little man working on a pot near within earshot was going to write <laughs> one of the most influential books of all time. <laughs> I think of that, and I think you just never know who's listening to you. Wow. You just never know what the results of your casual conversations are going to be. Mm. Mm. But uh, uh, after, so he just takes 15 or 20 lines to talk about that. Mm. And uh, then he says, thus, therefore, when I had heard and considered what they said, I left them and went about my employment again. But their talk and discourse went with me. Mm. So I just think about uh, uh, that that conversation. God had ordained that it would those arrows that those women shot had barbs in them, and they stuck in Bunyan's heart, and he wow. just continued to think about those things, and it led to his conversion. Mm. Wow. And uh, so I love that. I love it when he finally comes to peace, uh, when he realizes that. Christ is his righteousness, but it's, it is months and months of struggling uh, spiritual agony mm. before he comes to understand imputed righteousness. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I think that one of the points that I want us to take away, my students and me to take away from this, is that when you receive Jesus Christ, you receive all the benefits that Christ has laid up for believers. Mm. But you may not understand some things that are very important until later on. Mm-hmm. Now, those things are extremely important. How can you overemphasize the importance of uh, imputed righteousness and the, the doctrine of the substitutionary penal atonement? Mm. Uh, but if... You, you can have confused ideas about many important things, but if you have received Jesus, then you are a new creature in Christ Jesus and on your way to heaven. 
Amen. I think that's one of the lessons that I take away from from grace abounding. That's so good. And to your point, uh, wow, I mean, that that we are instruments of grace in God's hands. And even if something as simple as our discourse uh, amongst each other, uh, brother to brother, brother to sister, sister to sister, whatever the case may be, that, that those conversations about the Lord could have impact on others. And so, wow, that's that's so... That's mind-boggling. Really, really uh, something to, to think about. Well, I, I want to wrap up our, our conversation um, by talking about maybe you could give us some help in how to read this book. Um, in, in our day and age, we love quick lists. We love to not have to think. Um, and so I've found as we're reading through this with our children, um, it you really have to engage your brain and and uh, you know, it, it is asking you to do things. This book is asking you to do things that we're not accustomed to nowadays. And so could you maybe help us with some pointers uh, on understanding allegory and, and uh, uh, how we can approach this book without getting frustrated by it? Yeah, <clears throat> just make up your mind ahead of time that this is not going to be a fast read. Mm. Uh, if if you have to, like maybe my students have to read it in two weeks, uh, if you have to, then go ahead, but uh, try to make up your mind that very soon you're going to read it more slowly. You know, there are, uh, hard candy is not meant to be just crunched up. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be sucked slowly and enjoyed over a, a long period of time, and I think that's the way it is with, with Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Mm-hmm. All of these various shadows and allegories and word pictures are meant to be sucked slowly, like a a piece of candy, or chewed very, very slowly so that you get every bit of sweetness out of this honeycomb. Mm. Um, you you are supposed to, when, when you read The Pilgrim's Progress, you're supposed to say, what is the book that he has in his hands? What is the burden that he has on his back? And right there, right in the very first page, some people go astray mm-hmm. when they say the burden is his sin. Well, it's the burden is not his sin. The burden is his consciousness of his sin. Mm. It is psychological guilt. And that explains why he can enter through the wicked gate. He's still got the burden on his back, even though the wicked gate represents Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, I've mentioned the wicked gate, and uh, that's just another example of you've got to think about what does each thing mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the students that I have in my classes are, are very earnest students. Many of them uh, you know, have been at the top of their class in high school and are accustomed to getting straight A's. But I will ask my, my classes year after year, what is a wicked gate? W-I-C-K-E-T. What is a wicked gate? And virtually nobody has bothered to look up what is a wicked gate. Mm-hmm. They, the word that is closest to it is wicker. Mm-hmm. And so they think of it as being a, a small gate that is made of some kind of a porous type wood, like wicker furniture. They don't, they don't understand that wicked, a wicked gate is a small gate. Oh, so it's, it's a narrow gate, a mm-hmm. straight gate, a small gate. Mm-hmm. Once you see that, then you say, well, this represents Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, so 
uh, you know, I'll ask my students, is the church in Pilgrim's Progress part the first? Almost nobody understands that the Palace Beautiful represents the local church. Mm. But, uh, you know, he, uh, Christian is examined before he's allowed to come in. Once he is there, he finds fellowship, he finds equipping for the journey that's coming up. Uh, the story is strong enough to make it interesting for a very young child. But in order to get the spiritual benefit out of it, you've got to do more than chase the story. Mm. You've got to think, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think that for the most part, you don't really have to have an annotated version. But it'd be wonderful if, uh, as a family is reading it together, the the mom or the dad could say, well, now here... Uh, Christian has he he encounters something called the slough of despond. <laughs> we pronounce slough or slough. What is a slough? What is a slough? Oh, it's a muddy place. What then? What does it mean? You know, and uh, that's that's the way that the book is meant to be read. That's the way the book is meant to be discussed. What mm. do all of these things mean? Mm-hmm. Mm. Just in his one or two line description of the slew of despond i my my mind was just uh you know fireworks were going off and uh it it he was so gifted in again just a very few words but everything he said about that i i just said yes i mean i i felt it i i had experienced that and um it's it's so masterfully done and uh and so yeah to your point i think that is a great piece of advice to uh, to think slowly through these things with either ourselves, if if we're just reading it personally, or um, with our children, if we are reading it to another audience. Yeah. A- anything else you would like to say about it? Well, I um, I teach the class. The main class that I teach at Boyce is called Great Books, and so uh, we we read several books during the semester. Um, but I, I am afraid that there are uh, a great many people today who are being puffed up because they're reading stacks of books that they understand in only a superficial way. Hmm. And I think that it is far better to read 10 really great books in your whole life, 10 really great books that you thoroughly understand hmm. than to read a thousand books that you only superficially understand. Mm -hmm. And I would say one of those 10 books needs to be Pilgrim's Progress. Take Mm -hmm. the time to understand it thoroughly. It will, it will yield such immense spiritual benefit for you. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Ork, I uh, probably will be calling you again when, uh, when we get a little further into the book and, um, we will. Uh, I'll probably be seeking your help again. So we might have a follow up interview, follow up conversation at some point. We'll have to see how this goes. Uh, I would like to start um, having my kids come on the podcast and talk with them about what we're learning uh, in the book. And uh, and so maybe we'll bring you on at some point again and and have some follow up conversation about it. Well, that would be delightful. If I could add just a a couple of words of recommendation for people who are trying to do it with their children. Please. If you have extraordinarily young children, like uh, four or or five-year-old children, uh, 
investigate the picture book that's called Dangerous Journey. Okay. The, do you know that book, Jason? I don't, but I will find it and link to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really it's really well done. Uh, there's a video that goes along with it that is uh, I think it's worthwhile. I like it as I like it as a children's version because the uh, the editor maintains much of Bunyan's original language. Hmm. And I'm I'm a huge fan of Bunyan's original language. There are modern versions of Pilgrim's Progress, but uh, I I think that it, that the average person who is capable of reading, who applies themselves to understanding Bunyan's English, is going to understand Bunyan's English. Okay. Uh, but if you have to use a modern translation, then then go ahead. But don't stay with that. Go ahead and move into to Bunyan's original. Also, there there is a delightful recording of Pilgrim's Progress, part the first and part the second. I haven't looked for this for several months. I probably should have done it before this interview. But uh, there was a, a production company called Lionsgate, okay. Lionsgate, that did a uh, a theatrical recording of Pilgrim's Progress. It's almost verbatim, mm. not quite, but almost verbatim. And it's extraordinarily well done, very engaging. And uh, some of my children have listened to it so much that without even trying, they have large parts of Pilgrim's Progress committed to memory. Wow. Wow. Well, I will find that as well and, and link to that. So two great resources. Uh, thank you for uh, pointing us to those. Uh, well, Dr. Oric, thank you so much for your time. It's, uh, it's truly been a pleasure, and uh, I greatly appreciate what you're doing and how you're investing uh, in the kingdom of God. And so thank you so much. Well, you're certainly welcome. I enjoyed it a lot. Well, I'd like to once again express my gratitude to Dr. Oric for taking the time to visit with us on Reclamation Worship. I want to encourage you to visit reclamationworship.com and view the show notes where you can look at the resources that were mentioned in this episode. You can also find previous episodes there and listen to those. So please visit reclamationworship.com. Also visit us on iTunes where you can subscribe, rate, and review. We're on Spotify. You can follow us there. We're on Twitter at Reclamation HQ. We are on Facebook at Reclamation Worship and Instagram at Reclamation Worship. Until next time, solely Deo Gloria.